Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Uh, today we have episode 256, Lessons Learned and Mistakes We Have Made. Uh, we definitely have made mistakes, and I know my two uh, partners in crime, Joe Thomas and Byron Jabara, have made a couple mistakes. <laughs> yes, we've all made mistakes, and, and uh, excited uh, to share those. And there's, there's two ways you can learn. You can learn by uh, doing and and so you got to make all your own mistakes, or you can learn uh, from from learning from others, and you know that's like reading or you know learning from wisdom from your instructor. And so hopefully today you'll be able to learn a little bit from us and and not uh, make some of the same mistakes we have. Yeah, because yeah, what Byron from our mistakes. Yeah, definitely learn from our mistakes. Because what Byron was trying to say, tuning into this podcast was not a mistake. So uh, <laughs> we just wanted to make sure you get that right. <sighs> Yep, and then we got Joe over here who is known for uh, wearing out an eraser on a pencil. So uh, he's definitely made a few mistakes. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, speaking of mistakes, uh, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. So yeah. I, I can relate. <laughs> how embarrassing. I like that one, Joe. <laughs> uh, that was that was the most embarrassing I've ever seen you, Joe. <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, yep. This uh, to kind of get everyone on the same page. This is the last episode of the month. We like to do a topic, and the topic we're covering is lessons learned and mistakes we've made. Uh, we're going to stick to most of the jujitsu topic. <laughs> yeah. You know, Joe was telling me about a, a mistake he made, not the one that he was mistaken on, but he was telling me when he first started, he could have done a lot better and uh, really flattened out his learning curve if he would have checked out uh, Byron's audio book, uh, Six Games, or I mean. Let's start this over again. You're going to nail it, Carrie. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of mistakes. <laughs> uh, speaking of mistakes, there was one right there. Um, but no, hey, Joe and I were talking uh, beforehand about uh, about a mistake he had made previously. And it was in his first year of jiu-jitsu. And he, if he would have uh, picked up a copy of Byron's audiobook, your first year in BJJ, he would have... Uh, basically navigated through the rough waters. Joe, how'd you like the, the maritime uh, uh, pun right there? <laughs> navigating <laughs> there. rough waters. Good one, yep. Gary. Yep. No, but uh, uh, definitely check out uh, Byron's audiobook, your first year of BJJ. We have a link to it on your show notes. Uh, it's two and a half hours of content, only $11.99, and it'll really definitely help you out during your first year of jiu-jitsu from everything from the benefits of jiu-jitsu, like losing weight, uh, uh basically getting stronger, more flexible, to what moves to work on, to picking the right school, everything you're going to need to keep going through that first year and uh, basically be on the way to becoming a blue belt. There you go. And there'll be a link in the show notes. And I don't know if the book – I don't think the book was around when Joe started, so that was my mistake. I didn't make the book early enough for you, Joe. Or Joe could no. have started earlier. Later. Well – you, you can make the mistake, though, of not availing yourself to all the resources out there. And so this is definitely a good resource. And if you're new to jujitsu, um, don't let a year go by without taking advantage of this. Yep. It's, that's really what it's designed to help you not make 
as many mistakes and, and make that first year a little easier. Guys, we uh, have a off-the-mat lesson that we drag back to the mat and uh, discuss. And I've got it this week, guys. Uh, it, was, it was last weekend, uh, which actually be two weekends ago, recording this a week in advance. <laughs> but last weekend, uh, my wife and I did a relay of a triathlon because we do several 5Ks a year. Maybe, I don't know, three or four, maybe five even some years. And they're fun. But uh, my brother has gotten into doing triathlons. He's like, do a triathlon. I said, I don't really have that desire. He goes, just do it. And you could even do it as a relay. So that made it a little easier because I've never swam uh, a long distance like that. And I've never uh, biked like that either. So I didn't want to do too much new things in one, uh, too much suffering or too much trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, in one event and so my wife said she would do the bike and I'll do the swim and then we both ran it uh, so um, we get there race day we're talking and, and you get this little uh, microchip that goes around your your ankle kind of like a, like Gary's uh, house arrest chip and uh, and for the relay you you go into the, what's called the transition area where you keep the bikes you keep your change of clothes you keep all your kind of stuff organized and you go from swimming uh, you you change out of that and you put your bike stuff on, you know, like your helmet. You get your bike off the rack, and some people change shorts, some people put you know a shirt on or whatever, and then you take off and you and you and you bike. And they time you. So as you enter in the transition area, the timer says click, and then you're in there for like twenty seconds or five minutes or whatever happens, and then it tells you when you leave the transition area. And I thought, oh, that's weird. I said I told my brother. Oh, do they not count the time that you're changing? He says, "Oh yeah, they count that. That's absolutely a big part of it. But this is this is your race, and it's you're racing against yourself." And I'm like, "Man, okay, that makes sense." But as as I thought about that, it kind of settled with me more and more that it's like there were only there was a, barely over 100 competitors in this thing, but but only a few of them were actually trying to win it. Most of them were trying to beat. Uh, a, a time that they had gotten before or to do well very few of them were actually racing against uh, the group and uh, yeah those guys were light years ahead of what we were doing <laughs> but um, it's really a race against yourself so like he looks at that time when he does it and he sees you know he's in there for a minute a minute transition that's and he looks at the guys who are actually doing well theirs is under 30 seconds they're, they're changing really fast or they're not changing they're just going and uh, like that would be a way that he could pick up his time just to evaluate it. So just just his advice that day, um, the, the morning of the triathlon was, you're racing against yourself. You're not racing against anybody here. And uh, I thought that was that was good advice and, and taking it on the mat. Like, why are you here? Um, you know, are you constantly comparing yourself to everybody that you're in the room with, or are you constantly comparing yourself to your actual competition? Uh, you're having. You know, getting better at jiu-jitsu was also a big part of that. It's a personal journey, and uh, you're trying to improve. And that's why I think that a lot of us feel that it's very rewarding because we do improve as time goes. And uh, getting that sense of accomplishment, even if it's just incremental, uh, is very rewarding. So I thought that was good, good advice as far as uh, how to gauge the event. And, you know, if I do another one, I'll be able to compare the swim time with my other time. And if my wife does one, she'll be able to compare the bike time with her bike time and, and try to improve and and uh, do a little bit better next time.
so not not to derail this from the life lesson, but uh, personally, how did you feel about the experience, Byron? Was it good? Did you enjoy it? So th- that's an interesting question in itself. Uh, th- this was 100% other than the run part. It was new. I'd never done a triathlon. And the triathlon's a lot more involved than a 5K. A 5K, you show up 10 minutes before the race. Uh, most people are already there before that. Get your car from the starting line, and you and you go. And there's people that are... Uh, you know, dressed in a costume, or a lot of times we'll take our dog with us. It's just just an event, usually there for charity. And sure, you could run them hard, but it, again, you're racing for yourself. You want to beat your own PR. I've never been in a 5K where I thought that I might win it or place. Uh, so this thing, you got to show up more than an hour early. They write your number on your on your legs and your arms, and and they tell you all these rules, and it's a real big deal and like you have equipment there you have your bike you have changes of clothes you have to get everything organized so showing up way earlier is more involved and the athletes that were doing this are a little more intense of a breed there weren't a whole lot of recreational uh, competitors like i would say there are in a 5k people that you know a lot of people had bikes that were several thousands of dollars and uh, i mean that wasn't uh, an oddity to see that <laughs> and it's just people were more serious, I think, than than I anticipated. And like another thing, I got an email like three days before the race with this. It was kind of a, like a nasty toned email about all the different ways I can get disqualified and get in trouble at the race. And you know, you must bring your ID, you must bring your your triathlon license that you have, you must do all these things. I'm like, man, this is just such a negative email. It, it was kind of a turnoff. When I got there, everybody's super nice, it, but it was just. Uh, it wasn't real welcoming to get that a couple of days beforehand. I'm like, man, this is these guys are really uptight. I'm not actually going to win this thing. Like, I don't, I don't, I can mess up, and the and that shouldn't matter to anybody but myself. But the email was real nasty. But the actual people were all friendly. So, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, they just, yeah, they needed you to show up early. Like you said, you had all this stuff to do, and you said they had to put the uh, the number on your arm, and because your arms are so skinny, they needed a couple. <laughs> They needed some more time because they had to find a place where they could fit the number one. <laughs> they just used like uh, a uh, um, like a little postage stamp uh, with your name and address on there, just because it's super small writing. No, they just take a sharpie and they they wrote it on there. But you know, they give me some of this real small handwriting, Gary. Well, yeah, that's yeah, but- definitely good. <laughs> so speaking speaking of lessons you can learn it sounds like there's some correlations there maybe the difference between competing in a, a real small casual local jiu-jitsu tournament and and going to a, a big event in california or las vegas or something where you i mean s- some events you show up with the gi and they, they could care less what your gi looks like or how it fits and uh other events you show up and Man, it's got to measure just to a certain length on your wrist and your ankles, and, and you yeah. can't have patches in certain places. And yeah, it's important to be pre- prepared for more than just the physical aspects of the event, but what else is involved in it? Yeah. Yeah, because it would never be fun, like Jose had <laughs> said, to show up to a tournament here and uh, your gi's not right, your patches aren't right, and uh, you have to go home. You're kicked out. Gary and, has uh, moved to a witness protection program. And <laughs> his voice is down two octaves. <laughs> What happened? Your, your voice dropped about a half an octave, Gary. He's, he's now a tough guy, Gary. What happened? Oh, uh, tough guy, Gary. So right now, Gary has ripped off the sleeves of his arms of his uh, of his shirt. And <laughs> you don't you're not playing with us, Gary? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, no. 
Anyway, I'm Gary, sure. I, I like tough guy Gary. He's uh, he's lots of it's fun. New, it's New Jersey, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I I have no freaking clue what you guys are talking about. Sure, I don't even know if this is Gary over there anymore. And uh, I'm gonna drop it too, Gary. Uh, usually I'm kind of nasally, but uh, I'll just work at it a little bit differently to fit in. But yeah, the comparison, I can't do that voice very long, Carrie. I admire you for doing that. The comparison, I would say almost is more like jujitsu uh, would be to MMA. I mean, you have to learn a whole new set of skills. And I, I talked about this on previous episodes. Swimming 50 meters to me was exhausting. I didn't, not that I didn't have the cardiovascular system to do it. I just didn't know how to do it without making myself exhausted. And uh, I quickly learned, uh, you know, some some better swimming technique. And the 400 meters was no problem. And actually, a week after the race, I swam a mile. And it took me about 50 minutes. And I felt fine. And and there the, literally, it would have been impossible for me to swim a mile uh, before I started a month and a half ago training for this race. And so, like, the improvement was drastic. But it was all technique. Uh, you know, I'm working with my cardio system that I've built from jiu-jitsu, and it's there. But uh, it, my swimming technique had a lot to, to be desired. And so I really had to focus on, you know, getting better at my technique and, and my form. And, and uh, I went from not being able to really swim more than 50 meters without being exhausted to swimming a mile in a relatively short amount of time. And I'd encourage anybody to learn how to, to swim a little bit of a long distance. It's not a hard skill to pick up. And it can it could uh, make the difference someday if you ever had to swim like that. Did you do the crawl stroke the whole way? So uh, I did. When I swam the mile, I did. When I swam okay, in the muddy lake waters of Kansas, that is actually a hard thing to do because you can't see anything. So you have to constantly <laughs> kind of take a peek and look up and, and look to the, 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 the horizon and my brother, like that's one of his weaknesses is he doesn't swim in a straight line. Nobody does, but he has a hard time of remembering to look up. So he'll swim kind of diagonal and make a zigzag pattern a little bit more than I did. But I peaked more. Uh, he had his head down and was swimming harder. But uh, we, we, you know, he swim, finished a little bit ahead of me, but not by much because his he swam further than me. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, open water swimming and swimming pool swimming is completely different. You get a little bit of chop and yeah. I mean, it, it's two completely different activities. And you have that blue line at the bottom of the pool that keeps you going in a straight line. And, yeah. right. and the chlorine. And the, Yeah, the chlorine is no nice. No fish, no sharks. <laughs> uh, the sharks are a motivator. No water moccasins, you know, so it does make it a lot easier. Yeah. But, Byron, the question I want to know is I know when you ran your Here, first you sound, you, Okay, again, you sound different, but it sounds like uh, – like uh, a little echoey, maybe. I don't know what it is. Okay, you keep going there. Seriously? Yeah, it. It, uh, it must just be cell reception or something. Okay. I don't know. It's, you're you're doing all right. I didn't know if you changed the way you were doing something then for five minutes ago or not. No, seriously. Okay. I, you know whatever you guys were talking. Your about voice earlier. was low, and I thought you uh. you were messing with us, but uh, that's funny. Oh. <laughs> Carry on. I, uh, okay. It's probably just the internet here at the hotel. Could be. It's it's good enough. That's for sure. Okay. Now, for, oh, Byron, what I wanted to know is, I know when you ran your marathon, you ran it in grappling shorts. You were probably the only person who was wearing grappling shorts. Did you have some no gi attire uh, for either the running portion, the swimming portion, or the swimming portion? 
or the running, <laughs> swimming, or biking portion there, Byron. Well, I didn't uh, do the biking portion because my wife did that. That we did it as a relay. Oh, okay. uh, I just swam in. Literally, I was the most like all these guys were in speedos and all this. A lot of them had like, uh, like one piece. It was a top and a and and pants together to swim in, and they'd bike in the same thing. I I swim in board shirt shorts and didn't wear a shirt. Like you could tell by looking at me, I'm not a very serious athlete. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I had I had as much time as I needed to change for the run because my wife was biking for. 12 miles so i wasn't in a hurry so our transition time was pretty elite because it was uh just show up and then pass off the little uh ankle bracelet thing and then go but uh yeah i didn't i did run and that's funny i did run my marathon in in uh some nogi shorts but uh not this time i think I thought just, that was awesome yeah i don't have a lot of shorts <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but uh joe found us a quote this week and i'm excited to talk about that yeah, I actually heard this one on another uh, podcast I was listening to, and I, I didn't realize it was attributed to John Wooden. Uh, I did the research and, and found that out, and uh, I'm pretty sure everybody's familiar with John Wooden, but if you're not, he was the head coach at uh, UCLA for years, had a very successful career in the early 60s to mid-70s. He won like a dozen out of 14 or 15 years. They were the uh, NCAA champions. It helps that he had uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for part of that time, and he had Bill Walton for part of that time, and that certainly helps. But he knows a thing or two about accomplishments. And the quote that is attributed to him is, do not mistake activity as accomplishment. And I think you could probably make a lot of correlations to that quote and jiu-jitsu, but I kind of look at uh, what you do throughout the course of a class. When you go to class and you go training, and another thing that helps explain this from my perspective is that all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. Uh, a square is a, a specific type of rectangle. And I would say that uh, all accomplishments are a result of activity, but not all activity results in accomplishments. And if you come visit my home gym, um, there'll be a, a portion of instruction and our coach will show some technique and if it's from half guard, then the next portion of the class would be specific training, um, starting from half guard. And then after that, there'll be full training starting on our feet. And you can come and you can do the half guard technique that the coach is teaching. And then when he says, okay, now specific training, you start in half guard, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to do the technique that the coach was showing you. And when it comes to full training, you don't have to try to get to half guard at all. You can just go for a takedown and knee on belly or mount to whatever your favorite top position is. And that's a lot of activity, but I'm not sure it results in the same accomplishment as if you, you take the class, you, you do the technique that the coach is showing, and then when you do your specific training, you seek out the techniques that he was training, showing you. And then when you do your full training, you seek out that position. I'm not saying everybody has to train this way, but I think training smart like that, you're, you're doing the same amount of work as somebody who's not doing that. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to see better results. So that's my take on it. What do you guys think? Yeah, Joe, um, I see where you're coming from, but I kind of looked at it from a different way. Um, you know, I, I like what you're saying, you know, that you are going to, you know, have a better accomplishment if you if you go through those steps. But I kind of looked at it um, 
you know, maybe disagreed with this a little bit. And, you know, I didn't really look at it in depth, the kind of way you were seeing it when I first saw this activity or first saw this, uh, this quote, I was thinking the activity of, I thought about when I first started jujitsu, you know, the very first time I wanted to go to a jujitsu class, I chickened out, I drove, I drove by the place and I didn't show up, you know, I went home you know, defeated, you know, my head was down, felt like I lost confidence. And the, the second time I did show up, I did the activity, I which is the class. I actually showed up for practice one day. I was absolutely atrocious. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did consider the activity showing up as an accomplishment. So I think, uh, you know, just doing it the other way, I, I do think just by me showing up, that first day knowing absolutely nothing probably doing everything wrong but i do look at it that it's a huge step the accomplishment was i did it i didn't chicken out i had the guts to do it and you know here i am 15 years later the rest is history and it was all just because of that very first time that i finally got the guts to try it uh, gary you see it that way i hear look at this quote and i think uh don't mistake activity as accomplishment and uh, what are you trying to accomplish? Good training. And I see that as a, as a, as a mistake as a coach. Yeah, we're working hard. Yeah, we're, we're doing something. But are we getting better at jiu-jitsu? And that's really the coach's category as far as what they're training, what drills they're doing. Are they doing like drills that are kind of useless? Are, are they doing drills that are adding to their game? Are they doing drills that uh, – are they just working hard? And if you're going to be working hard, you might as well be doing something that'll actually help you with your jujitsu. And and that's what I think of that as is um, do something. Yeah, it's good. Get out there, work hard. You work on that that conditioning and your strength training on the mats with your training partners. But uh, you need to be also finding ways to make your jujitsu better at the same time. And that's like super training, possibly super duper. I don't know for sure the level of it. Super duper duper training, definitely. So uh, I, that's what the quote says to me is, is your training being effective? Um, don't mistake just being active or being busy as being quality training. And quality training gets you to this sense of accomplishment. Yep, I, I would agree. I think you could uh, take that same train of thought and put it to an in-the-match uh, context as well. You've seen guys who, who get in bottom position and they're, they're squeezing their opponent and they're pushing and pulling and, and doing things that as a, maybe an experienced grappler, they're watching them and you can see that they're just uh, wasting energy and burning themselves out. There's lots of activity, but they're not really improving their situation at all. Yeah. And that's a good example as far as uh, attempting a lot of things, uh, but not actually accomplishing anything. But you need to, to look at that as like, what did you actually accomplish? Did you, were you able to confuse somebody? Were you able to misdirect them? And maybe the activity had a point. Maybe it didn't have any point at all. It was just you working desperately to find something that would work. And so just to have that real evaluation of, of what your activity was accomplishing. And if it was, you know, some, a busy guard's hard to pass because it's hard to start passing. So maybe you're just accomplishing that. But if you're just uh, piddling around in different attacks and, and not committing to anything, um, that's just a lot of activity that may not actually be doing you anything that's helping you. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the the article we did. I think it was last week, uh, the Luther Lever stuff, where uh, they were talking about repetition. You know, uh, kind of a 
you know, useless movement. We just keep doing it over and over and over again. And, uh, it's, it's going to get past your guards are going to get past. If you keep doing the same thing, you have a lot of activity, but it's really not getting you anywhere. And, uh, it's actually putting you being a detriment to you. Yeah. Jerry, I will, I will say that I like that you had the courage to uh, stand up and disagree with John Wooden. <laughs> you know, it was funny when, <laughs> When I did see that article when you or the quote when you sent it to me, I was like, you know, I I kind of disagree with this, and and you know, I, and I was like, man, that's uh, it's John Wooden, and I'm like, man, should I uh, should I actually say this? <laughs> you know, you feel kind of terrible. John Wooden's a uh, you know uh, a legend. Yeah, but, you're a uh, basketball guy. You're pretty familiar with him, huh? Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, it's you know, everybody can take stuff a different way, and to me, just that activity of showing up was a huge accomplishment. You know, I really didn't learn much that day, but it, you know, it was a start of my journey. If, if I didn't have the guts to finally take that step, I wouldn't be here today. I'd probably be on a uh, cooking podcast or something else. Yeah. If your options are to do something that's less than perfect or do nothing at all, certainly doing something that's less than perfect is better. Yeah. yeah and I mean, just look at, just look at Joe and I. We hang out with Byron. You guys are bringing me up every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you wait to do the perfect anything, you're never going to even start because uh, you have to have a failures to start. I mean, Gary talks about cooking. Uh, the guy can't boil water correctly. But what he has been able to do is fill the pot up with water first. And then, you know, getting it to heat up is one thing he's struggling with now. But if he just wants to start boiling water, he has to first struggle and, and figure things out for a little while in the kitchen. And he's tried microwaving it. didn't work out. He's tried to put it in the oven. didn't have a lot of success. And now he's he's thinking about the stovetop as the way to go. And I will get it working. It's just I'll keep trying. I've, I've got a lot of determination. Yeah. And I'll get there. And then he'll be able to sanitize uh, his cup. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know where you're going with that meaning there, Byron. Well, you got to drink out of a clean, clean cup. You know, got to have yeah. clean drinking utensils. That's right. Yeah, because I mean that's a mistake some people make. Yeah, and uh, I think it's about time to get on to the the topic of today's episodes: lessons learned and mistakes we have made. So we've had a full week to prepare for this. <laughs> And I think I wrote down uh, several to get the ball rolling here, and hoping you guys have some stuff to to throw in as well. Um, I talked with my wife about this topic, and she said, "Oh, that'll be interesting." And then she asked me two questions, uh, pretty much right off the bat, that made me think a little differently about this podcast. She said, "What mistake do most people make?" And my my gut instinct answer was, "It depends why they're training." Because you can be training for any number of reasons, and that is going to change what mistake you could be making. And then the answer immediately after that was, oftentimes the reason why they're training is a mistake, and they should be training for some other reason. Um, <laughs> which may well, not seem like much. That. Explain, explain which one? that, Byron. So, yeah, explain the reason why their training may be a mistake. Because I, I, I kind of just think any, you know, if you're training – that's good. Yeah. I don't see the mistake part of it. Well, if you're training uh, to, to win a tournament, that's your big goal. If you're training um, to, you know, imp- impress your friends or, you know, get a girlfriend or boyfriend or what, whatever, 
I think that that most people should be training uh, for basic fitness reasons and overall enjoyment of the process. And if if you're not doing those, and 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 you overlook that as as even a, a possibility of jujitsu is that it's fun, and I'm getting in good shape. And so if it's all on, it's a how how good you compete. Sure, you could have a great competition career, but when you're done with that, it's hard to transition to doing jiu-jitsu for fun and, and doing something for another 40 years until you get near Gary's age and something that could keep you fit and healthy for a long time. And so I think that that's a common mistake that people don't train for their own personal enjoyment and, and for the, the benefits of social interactions with, with buddies and friends and, and that sort of thing. And they overlook that for uh, getting better at fighting or any number of reasons that I think that that the physical fitness aspect and enjoying the process should be almost top of the list on most people. Sure, some people, uh, <laughs> you know, you have that lofty goal and you have to push it aside for a while because if you want to be a world champion, it's not going to be super fun training. But uh, y- you could uh, you could accomplish that if you push the the funness aside a little bit, most likely, and you do some things that aren't really enjoyable in the process of getting better at jujitsu. But uh, I think that your goal could push you away from jujitsu long term if it's not the right reason to be training. Definitely, Byron. That does make sense. I, I like that explanation. Now, if we be- if we back up a minute though and press Bri- Byron to be honest, when he first told his wife about the topic, she said, "Oh, well, that'll be an easy one for you." <laughs> <laughs> well, then her other her other question was, "What mistake are you are you making any mistakes now?" And I said, most definitely I'm making mistakes. Uh, the easiest one I can think of is it's on my list. It's lacking a focus. Um, you know, like Mr. Miyagi said, focus, Danielson. And uh, I right now, if I hit the mats and I'm training, I'm working on uh, guillotines, I'm working on leg locks, I'm working on a couple of different sweeps, I'm working a little bit of deep half guard. I'm kind of all over the place. But I get the most gains technique-wise when I come in and I'm going to leg lock everybody I could roll with that I want to like, I don't really, you know, play those people who don't know how to escape them properly, but like I have a goal and I show up with an intention that is real high quality training. And I think generally speaking, I don't have that sort of uh, dead set focus uh, really easy to do with escapes. I'm going to escape mount a bunch today. And then everyone's happy to, to get mount for a little while and see if I can weasel out of it. Um, I don't really have that focus right now. <laughs> and I think that most of us go and train and uh, and try to get better and have fun. And, and like I was saying, those other things. But technique-wise, you should have some sort of a focus on your training, whether it be for uh, the week or the month or even uh, go on for years. Like as I mentioned, guillotine. I've been working on my guillotine for a couple of years now, um, I think. Maybe it's, it's been more than a year. But uh, it's, it's something that I had like a fire, like a high level of focus for a while. And now it's just, it's always uh, in my mind, but I'm not actively trying to get uh, more research done on the topic. I'm not trying to ask everybody who gets out of it what happened and how could, you know, all those sort of things, but uh, I should be. So my lack of focus, are you guys super focused or are you kind of uh, a little bit loose with your training and what what you're working on? Well, Byron, I will tell me tell you one thing you taught me very early in my my path here is to focus on a move. I remember uh, you were telling me, geez, within the first year um, that I you know that 
take something and, and spend a month uh, working on it. And uh, I'm the kind of guy who goes a little bit crazy where I would spend six months working on it. So, you know, that's one thing that you have passed off to me really early in my career. And I have spent a lot of time focusing on one thing. And when we had uh, Roly and Tim uh, for the uh, BJJ Brick event and uh, we did the live broadcast with them, I just remember uh, Roly talking about, uh, you know, I was telling him that this is a third seminar I've been uh, basically with Roly, uh, two of them the exact same and one was a little bit different. But, you know, I loved how he went out and he talked about, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing the same seminar over and over again because you're really going to drill down into it. Like he was saying, uh, his stuff is all comes off the single leg X. And he's like, if you really want to get good at my ankle lock, you know, doing the double outside Ashi is not really going to help you. Everything he does is off the single leg X. And he's talking about really, really just drilling down into it, really getting so good at that one move, as you call it, getting a brick, um, just having, you know, getting like you're hit with a brick when that move comes, comes. And uh, so that's one thing I think I've always been good at. And thanks to you early in my career is the focus part. So, Gary, you hit the yeah, mat it, training today. What are you focused on? What am I focused on right now? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Right now it's Camoras. Um, you know, I kind of go back and forth between uh, Camoras and leg locks. And uh, it's funny, each time I go back, I, I learn a little bit more, um, you know, something I miss. But right now I'm really, uh, you know, focusing down on, on Kimuras and uh, finding new ways and little tweaks and uh, um, just stuff to make it a little bit better. How about you, Joe? Have you uh, found yourself lacking focus while you're on the mats? Uh, yeah. Did you guys say something? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, squirrel. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like everything else in jujitsu, this comes and goes. There's been times I've been really focused and, and other times I, uh, largely for me, it's just other things in life. You know, I get busy and I find myself in class and kind of haven't thought about it all day. But uh, since uh, Roly's seminar, I've had a goal and I've been pretty successful at it. I'm not doing a lot of study off the mat. But I, I'm intending to uh, get somebody in a single leg X every class and awesome. attack the ankle. So it, it's not something I'm really studying, but I'm, I'm committed to, to keeping it on the back burner and, and trying to hit it at least once every class. You know, Joe, I, I like what you said there. You're committed to getting a single leg X at least once uh, every every practice. I think that's awesome. And and that's a great goal to have right there. That That is neat. Yeah, and he's he's found that uh, showing up for the kids' class has really made that dream come true, getting that single leg X at least once. <laughs> uh, that's And that's a good way to, to view that. You're not so much stressing finishing the, the leg lock. You're trying to get the position. And then and it'll be the hold position. the position and, and keep it tight. Yeah. And then you can start working your finishes a little bit more successfully. Yeah, I think that's the key. I think a lot of times, especially on leg locks, I mean, you're trying to tap somebody out with their strongest, you know, muscle. And if you don't have control of it, you, you're not going to finish it. You have to have control. And I think a lot of times people put the car before the horse and uh, just start squeezing that foot and trying to choke the foot and versus, you know, having control first. And uh, I definitely think uh, you need to have that control going before uh, you can choke it. 
Gary, I think it was last week you talked. To, you said the same thing about uh, putting the cart before the horse, and uh, yeah. something about wanting to get this uh, submission uh, before it was available, and just going for stuff kind of wild. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess I do. Say, what I meant though is, I will let somebody pass to hook up a submission to like hook up I'm the not, horse to the cart. Yeah, to hook up the horse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I can see how you could take that. You know, you're always looking for ways to uh, uh, keep your buddy down. You know, so the horse. Thanks. The horse cannot push the cart, Gary. The horse can push the cart. <laughs> oh, really? You guys just got to learn how to think outside the box, guys. All right. The cart. Hey, Joe, you're thinking wrong. The cart is very small. It's just G- Gary's cart is anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you guys numerous times, it's not the size of your sword. It's the amount of magic that you have with it. And some reason you put your sword in a cart and the horse pushes it around. And that's all good. <laughs> that is all good. But I would think that the, that, that the lack of focus is one that um, we've had. I know, I, I, I want to speak for myself, that I've had. And that when I find myself like laser pointed on on something and really focused in, man, my jiu-jitsu takes a big jump. And then I get away from that, and you just get in the grind of just training and and, and working. And, you know, it, it goes back to the quote about, you know, don't mistake um, activity, activity for, yeah, and accomplishment. You switch out for results. And, you know, I do the same amount of activity when I'm focused as when I'm not focused. But the accomplishment, uh, the results I get are drastically different. And I think Joe's doing a smart job of, of – uh, making his goal both measurable and obtainable. I'm sure he can get the position about every time he shows up to jujitsu, and um, and he has a you know he's a number. I want to do it at least once, and maybe that number should be two or three as time goes on. Uh, you know, based on different opponents or training partners he's working with, and eventually he'll have. I want to finish one or two of those, or I want to finish. Really said, if you're not finishing most of them, I think he had a percent like seventy percent of your time you get at single leg X with ankle lock, you've got problems. <laughs> and that's, like, it's not perfect. Uh, you should be getting that high percentage of finish from that position. And so eventually, if you keep pushing that, 70%, 70 of the time you're in that position, you should get that uh, submission. And, uh, you know, that's a goal to work towards. It's always going to be kind of running from you. And maybe uh, someday, if you train just right, you could get it even higher than that. But uh, I, I think that incremental... Uh, goal setting is a is a smart thing to do, Joe. Yeah, and and doing something like this on the heels of having attended the seminar, it really has helped um, uh, reinforce a lot of the things that he taught. Because th- there's times I'll go to class and I'll I'll get the single leg X, I'll attack the leg, and and at some point in the process it falls apart, and then it, as as much as two or three days later I'll be thinking about it, and be like. Ah, dang it. That's what Rolly said, you know? And so, you know, on the heels of the seminar, if you go to a seminar and then you don't work on it for three months, I don't know if the seminar is going to benefit you all that much. Oh yeah. It's definitely not going to benefit you. And, and, uh, Byron can tell you that the next week after that seminar, Byron and I were rolling on Saturday after Saturday after. So one week later, and uh, I was really uh, trying to work on, uh, I don't know what he called it, but not his straight ankle lock, but uh, the one you kind of 
push it across your body and get a rear naked choke grip. Yep. And I just, I just call it the rolly. But, uh, you know, I, I was so happy cause I, I did a, a back step out of a, a half guard and it landed right into place. And I, I had to stop rolling and Byron was next to me and I had to show him, I was like, Hey, look at, you know, I call it the rolly. I was like, Hey, look at the new setup I found for the rolly. And, uh, so yeah, it's, you know, just drilling down into everything we learned and trying to, like Joe said, do it at every single practice and uh, just get better with it. If I don't do it and it's it's a waste of a seminar, I have to uh, uh, remember this stuff and, and try it. And uh, I really like Joe's idea of trying to do it every single class to at least one person. Yep. And if that makes you roll one more time at the end of class to really uh, find that position, that's that's also good for you. Uh, looking at another thing that, that I've had, and this is, uh, similar, let's look at through the lens of the focus thing is, um, back when I was a purple belt, I did a lot of rubber guard. That was, I'd pull guard, play rubber guard. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. And, um, I was, I was tapping out a lot of people with that and uh, having, you know, success. And after, after literally, a year and a half, maybe two years of doing this at Purple Belt, I came to the realization is everybody I tap out is a white belt or a blue belt in in my rubber guard. And I'm not trying to disrespect the, the rubber guard. If you're a rubber guard player and you like it and it's going good, great. But any part of your game that you're dedicating that much time for and you're not tapping out your really your equals on the mat, you got a problem. <laughs> and I and I thought about that and like this isn't helping me get better at jiu-jitsu at all. It's really stalling me out. I'm working hard. I'm Yes, I'm focused. But for me, I'm focused on the wrong thing completely. And so that, that time, it, it probably was almost two years of rubber guard focus that I had. Uh, it was wrong. It, it, didn't, it didn't help me. Sure, I, I enjoyed rolling and stuff like that and, and had a good time and, and feeling like I was getting better. But my evaluation was a bit slow to how good I was at that position. And, uh, I, it didn't take me long after I figured out to just stop doing that altogether and start doing other things. And, uh, I, if I could have made that evaluation six months in, instead of almost two years in, I would have been smarter, uh, with, with changing my focus. So, uh, really my history with the rubber guard wasn't real great. And, um, and I wish I realized that sooner. And so maybe you could look at your game. What part of your game is not up to speed that you're spending a lot of focus and energy on and uh, and it's optional. Like your, like your mountain escapes have to be up to speed. You have to be good at those. But I have the choice to play rubber guard or not. And I'm choosing to do that and it's not really working out for me. Do you remember that at all, Gary? You know, you were saying that. I don't even remember you ever playing rubber guard. <laughs> I really don't. So when you were saying that, I was kind of stunned. But uh you know, I, I think that is a good point. Uh, I had a long time where I didn't really work my stand-up at all. I always just uh, had the notion that I want to be on the ground anyhow. I don't, you know, I like to play from the bottom and and I want to be on the ground. And after getting put on the ground by some guys who, who got such good pressure that I can't move, and uh, it made me realize I, I really do need to uh, start working my stand-up game. Um, you know, that was a big hole. And so, you know, I spent some time doing that and still do. But, uh, yeah, I really think uh, you have to work on stuff that is going to help your game. Uh, uh, very important. 
Yep, I would agree. And for me, uh, Gary neglected the stand-up for a long time. And to agree, I'm guilty of that as well. But for me, it's been attacking the feet. And so I'm really happy I got up there and attended that seminar with Roley. And, you know, everybody I know plays the footlock game, at least to some extent. And I've just sort of, I don't know, I've I've avoided it for a long time. And I've come to a realization that uh, I need to add some more tools to my uh, tool bag. It's always good to have, you know, more than one tool in your tool bag. Yeah. And they say attacking the feet is, is adding another 50% of techniques. Um, I think that math is wrong, <laughs> but it does add a lot of techniques. I mean, clearly you have a neck to attack. You have two arms, two legs. And, you know, if you count sweeps and, and other, you know, reversals as, as things, they're not attacking the feet. But it, you do add a lot of submissions and you do change the way your opponent responds to you when you're able to attack their feet. So, yeah, two knees, two feet. Uh, some people like Gary even have a little bit of extra body parts that uh, are available to attack. Hey, don't be afraid oh, to uh, <laughs> don't be afraid to throw a wrist lock in every now and then as well. Yeah, a wrist lock is the same thing as a, is like an ankle lock. Boom, it's equivalent. Mind blowing stuff coming out at you out of the BJJ Brick podcast today. Yeah, definitely the mind blowing stuff. But uh, you know, going back to uh, lessons learned and mistakes we've made, my biggest mistake. I've made, you know, numerous times through my career, and I think I just did the best job of it, not the mistake of trying to correct the mistake here recently, but I being injured, um, I love jujitsu so much that every time I'm injured, I come back way too soon. I will train when I probably shouldn't be training. It'll make my injury last that much longer because I'll keep tweaking it and tweaking it. And pretty soon it turns into a six-month injury before it heals. And over the uh, uh, BJJ Brick event weekend, I pulled a muscle in my my quad. And normally... Extreme upper quad. Inner. (laughs) Inner upper quad. (laughs) Normally I would have been back, you know, the next day. That's kind of how I am, but... This time I, I kept myself out. I still showed up and watched. I still showed up uh, to different practices and watched. And I I didn't even drill. I didn't, you know, for at least a week. I think it was a week uh, when I finally got back and I, I rolled s- slow. And I'm still rolling slow right now. And it's been, you know, three to four weeks. And uh, But, you know, my, my quad feels great. I, I still haven't got back in the gym and hit weights you know on it yet which i normally would have already done uh you know kind of stupidity and uh that has been my biggest thing that has hurt my gains where byron's talking about being laser focused to get better when i'm not healthy and i can't give it all i can on the mat i'm not going to be laser focused i'm not going to be able to do everything and uh it's definitely uh shortchanged my game and uh that's one thing i do have to get better at and hopefully after this last one, which I think I did a better job, hopefully it carries over uh, for any injuries I have uh, down the road. Yeah, this whole thing, um, a, a phrase has been coined. Uh, it's going to be coined right now called geriatric jujitsu. <laughs> you're getting older, Gary, <laughs> and it takes time, more time to heal. And uh, you're, finally, you're starting to get wiser about letting your body actually heal. And uh, countless times, uh, I don't know how, like literally, uh, I don't know, 
more times than I can imagine, I've seen Gary limp off the mat and get a drink of water and then limp right back on the mat and go train some more. It's like, Gary, are you hurt or are you not hurt? Well, take some time. <laughs> you don't, uh, so hopefully you're, uh, you're, you're treating yourself a little bit uh, wiser. And uh, you just, like I said, you love jujitsu. You don't want to not do it just because your leg is going numb or you're leaking more than you normally leak. Uh, geriatric jujitsu is, uh, is, is the phase you're entering into, my friend. That we're going to have to get that on Wikipedia, uh, geriatric <laughs> jujitsu. Uh, somebody please send me the link to that, uh, after they make it and, and, uh, and we'll, uh, definitely have that on as a, as an article of the week or something, man, that would be fun. I don't know how to hook up Wikipedia, but uh, somebody could do that. That'd be cool. Um, looking at more, so kind of on the injury page, um, I could look at some of my more serious injuries. So I've never had uh, surgery from jiu-jitsu. I've never missed work, uh, and I've been a firefighter for about 10 years now. Um, I never missed work from jiu-jitsu that I, could, that I know of. Maybe maybe a day or maybe half a day. I can't really remember, um, but I haven't missed work <laughs> in a significant manner. I'm, I don't think I've missed a day from it. But anyway, um, looking at my injuries, though, uh, they, they happen. Uh, my, my most annoying injury is my rib injury. I have a dislocated rib. Happened, I don't know if it was 12 or 13 years ago. Uh, I dislocated my rib when I was trying to do a butterfly guard sweep. And I was trying very hard to do this. Like I was putting way too much energy and, and effort into it. Um, I was in a tournament one time and I was attempting to do a triangle and uh, my rib, my knee popped. Pop. I go, that's not cool. Uh, nothing resulted majorly, but my knee was sore uh, for more than a month. And, and this was when I was working on the fire department. And it was like, <laughs> I kind of uh, garried into the. Uh, to work every day and limped a little bit more than I than I was comfortable with, but I got through it. Um, and then uh, more recently than that, I you know that uh, so you're in turtle guard or you're turtled, <laughs> and somebody reaches around like the far side uh, with their arm and you could hook that and kind of roll over and and do that. I tried that on somebody who was quite a bit bigger than me, and they weren't wanting to roll over with me, like they were really sagging back. And I tried really hard, and uh, I my same rib dislocated again a little bit and it was like sore for uh, several weeks uh, maybe even longer but uh, all those things happened when I was trying to do something with more force than I should and that's been a mistake uh, luckily I've been injured worse than that but if I'm trying to force something I, I, I try to tell myself to stop and reevaluate the situation to do it a little more smoothly and uh, can you guys think of anything that you guys uh, tried to force like a technique wise and it resulted in something like your leg popping, Gary, or <laughs> or something like, man, I, just, I think I just pushed too hard on that movement instead of uh, trying to transition to something else or to, to reframe it. You know what's happened to me a couple of times is I've ran into that same situation as you have with with my rib. Uh, you know, I have a permanently sticking out rib and, you know, I've injured it a couple of times. It's a very painful injury. And I, I've come to the conclusion, like you said, it, it a lot of times if I'm on the bottom and I'm really trying to get up, almost like doing a Turkish get up, you know, going back to kettlebell reference, but really forcing myself up instead of using good technique, really trying to muscle somebody. I start feeling really my core, my ribs, uh, really stressing. 
and uh, you know, just after having a couple injuries there, I I've now got a little bit smarter where I don't you know try to force as you're saying Byron I'll I'll go back to you know maybe I need to shrimp out a little bit you know as you say do a jumbo shrimp instead of a popcorn shrimp you know get a little bit more space maybe I need to uh you know frame a little bit better I know I've talked to you about that after your seminar I've really worked hard on framing uh where I'm not going to get put in as bad a position where I'm going to have to force stuff um so that is you know definitely helped me I've just recognized it after making some dumb mistakes um but you know you're you're talking about somewhere that we've been forcing something i always ran into the problem of getting hurt um sometimes is not tapping quick enough you know the ego got in the way especially when i first started um when i used to roll with you all the time byron you ended up started off really good and you had one you had a really really good arm bar from the guard and you used to give me all the time and i used to think i could get out and, you know, my arm would pop and, and I was just, it was just stupidity. And, uh, you know, it, the same thing, it, it made me not, you know, my gains weren't where they should have been because my arm was always hurting me. Um, you know, just a dumb, stupid ego got in my way that I didn't want to tap. I, I thought it was more important to beat you when I first started instead of trying to learn. And, uh, you know, I paid for it. You know, I've, I've been fortunate in the, uh, that not muscling myself into injuries or refusing to tap the, those lessons, I, I think were easy for me to learn for some reason. But um, going back to what Gary was talking about training through injuries that maybe you shouldn't about two years ago, maybe it's been three years ago. Now I tore my abdominal wall somehow. And I don't even remember exactly how it happened, but it was to the point where every time I sneezed, it felt like somebody was ripping my guts open with a hacksaw. I, I couldn't hold a plank position to do a push up. I mean, not like it was painful, but I, I literally could not hold the position. I couldn't lay on the back on my back and lift my feet off the mat. I could lay on the back on my back though and drag my feet up to my butt. You know, I could lift my knees and I never took any time off because of that. I, I went to class and, and just rolled through the warm-ups I couldn't do half the things and, and tried to train and that thing lingered on for probably six months and I look back on it, I think well what if I would have actually seen a doctor for starters <laughs> and, and what if I just took three weeks off four weeks off you know because I I probably made almost no progress during that period of time because my training was so you know everything I did had to be um, you know done differently and, and it was just like get on the mat and try and survive so um, definitely a mistake I think I made. And, uh, next time I tear my abdominal wall or something like that, I'm definitely going to see a doctor and, and see if I can, uh, rehab it and get it fixed a little sooner. Yeah, that's interesting. I never heard that injury before uh, like that. So man, it's, uh, it's been a long time. I think in the first 30 or so episodes, we did an injury episode and had people just kind of tell us what it's like to get injured in certain ways and how they overcame that. So if you are uh, wondering about how does how do I recover from this surgery, um, it might be in that episode. But uh, I never heard of the tearing of an abdominal wall. You want oh, to build that bad, wall man. with bricks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> six packs yep. of bricks at a time. Like uh, get those uh, six pack abs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, and you never did uh, let yourself really recover from that and, and take off time, huh? 
No, I mean, it just after, I don't know, I couldn't hold a plank position for probably eight or 10 weeks and then, you know, gradually got a little better. And, but it, it took six months before I was back to normal. And, and I, you know, I wonder in hindsight if I'd have just taken three or four weeks off or possibly seen a doctor. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I got it. I got a email or I think somebody commented on one of, one of our videos on YouTube about, um, Hey, I injured my rib. What should I do? And I, I just responded like less than a sentence. Go to see a doctor. Like if you're asking me for advice, uh, that's the only advice I have to give you over the internet. Um, <laughs> like if it's if it's you'll know if it's not bad enough to go to a doctor. If you think you should go see one, and uh, you only get one body, so uh, try not to screw it up doing jujitsu because you could train safely. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, 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 I think probably a good rule of thumb is if there are things that the normal person can do and you no longer can, like if you injure your knee and you cannot squat down two, three days later, or in my case, I could not hold a plank position without feeling like my guts were going to fall out, you should probably see a doctor. Gary can hold the plank position. His guts are stable, but after a little while, he does leak. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was normal, Byron. Uh, to a degree, uh, as large as you as you enter into the geriatrics phase of of your planking career, planking ain't <laughs> easy. <laughs> um, so I've written down uh, a few mistakes, and uh, it didn't take me long to kind of think outside of uh, like mistakes of of my personal jiu-jitsu experience, and it was uh, looking at getting my wife on the mats and having her do jujitsu. Um, just the, the overall impression I had of the process was going to be that, that it would be like a fairly smooth transition to jujitsu. She'll like it. It's fun. And really her jujitsu experience is a lot different than mine. It, I could roll with somebody who is rough and not necessarily have a rough roll. I could, I'm, I'm happy to roll with anybody in the room. Typically speaking, unless I'm injured and, and and have have a good time and she doesn't have those skills and ability to 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 do that and she, sometimes, sometimes we would go train and we'd get in the car and, and drive home and she'd be very frustrated and i can't think of the last time i left jiu-jitsu super upset with myself and and she she experiences that uh you know i don't know how often but she does experience her that those frustrations that that I that I just kind of have forgotten that I got those. I mean, I, I remember, yeah, you're frustrated. Gary starts tapping you out a lot. That becomes frustrating. I used to, you know, back when we started, I had a little advantage on Gary, and now it's, the tables have turned. But I don't let that frustrate me now. It it doesn't matter. And I I tell her I've tapped to you know blue belts and white belts, you know, this year. You know, she's frustrated that she uh, rolls with some guy who's relatively new, and he kind of smashes her for the whole roll. I'm like, that's. That's part of it, but I, I need to know that that person is going to make it frustrate. Like that, the mistake was I thought it would be straight up as much fun as I was having. That's not the case. Like there are parts that are frustrating. There are parts that that I think she has been able to kind of bond with some of the other women at the gym. Is like like who to not roll with? You know, like, I don't. I can't tell you that. I can tell you some of the guys that I not roll with uh, based on how I rolled them. But some of the guys that roll rough with me roll super nice to her. And it's more personality than it is actual abilities on the mats. So, uh, and that, and those uh, affect me more than like like a, like a lack of focus right now. 
yeah, I know that that's a problem, but I could find a focus tomorrow and really work on something. But screwing up how how my wife does jujitsu and how she feels about it and how we talk about it is something I don't want to get terribly wrong. And uh, and it it is it's something that I've tried to make mistakes on. But I know that any time that we're you know coming home from jujitsu or she's upset or she's upset the next day or she's taking the day off not because she's isn't sore but because it's not fun today. Um, you know and 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 those sort of things, but um, try not to make those mistakes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not all of us are going to get our wives on the mat, but at some point, if you stay in jujitsu long enough, you're going to uh, play the role of a mentor. You know, you're going to kind of uh, help guide the newer guys coming in or girls coming in on the mats. And if if I'm hearing what you're saying, Byron, I think a mistake that is often made is to sort of assume that everybody's jujitsu journey is going to be like ours. And that's just not the case. It, it could be equally wrong to expect my journey to be like other people's. I could get frustrated because things aren't playing out for me the same way they did for Gary or Byron. And we just have to realize that everybody's journey from white belt to black belt or where, wherever they end up is not going to be the same. Yeah. And, and she sees me, um, not having the same struggles as her and it's frustrating. And if, if, if I roll with her and I'm not trying all that hard and she is, that's also frustrating to her. And, and then, you know, Hey, it's, it's a lot of this is skill. And then she goes and she applies skill to somebody who's, who's significantly bigger and stronger than her, but she has a skill advantage and it doesn't work. That's also frustrating because I just told her that it was most skill and she had the skill advantage and it didn't work. It's like, um, you know, overall I think she enjoys it. But uh, I, I would I would like her to go when I'm not going. So if I'm at work someday and she's able to go, um, she's not really jumping at it to go. I think she just has to go and hang out with me for the time, um, and, and and have to try to get better at jujitsu. But if she really liked it, she would go regardless of whether I was available to go. And and that's you know that's fine. She she has she does so many different exercises out you know different workouts and different things. She's kind of um, all over with different activities, but um, how, how to push somebody to jujitsu without pushing them away has uh, it, been a little bit tricky, especially when dealing with a, um, a spouse, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely a fine line. Like you said, how to get somebody into jujitsu without pushing them away. But uh, I can tell from rolling with, uh, with Becky that every time I roll with her, she just gets, you know, that much better. And what I really like about rolling with Becky is, her technique is so good. And I've told numerous people this and it's like, she gets like a free private lesson with you, Byron, every Saturday, Byron will work with her for like two hours Saturday. They'll just work a, you know, we'll go back in kind of like what we we're talking about. They'll be focusing on something and then I'll go roll with Becky after that. And, uh, you know, I'm just so impressed cause I don't get to roll with her every week. So I probably only roll with her, you know, every couple months. And when I do somebody who's only rolling with her, you know, every now and then is going to see the big differences. And, and I've seen just a huge, you know, leap in skills. And I hope you're listening to this, Becky, She's so not. you can hear <laughs> from somebody else. <laughs> so you can hear from somebody else how, how great you're doing. So uh, she does get a lot of teaching and, and uh, the stuff from me. But, you know, it, it sometimes it's hard to learn something like that from a spouse. And it's good to come from an outside source. Like she likes learning from Gary. She'll She'll do... Uh, you know, percent wise, you know, like time on the mat, she's learned a lot more from Gary than me. Like uh, the the time she gets, 
you know, monthly or whatever with Gary is more than the time she gets, you know, weekly with me in importance level. And, and same thing with Craig and, and we got a couple guys at, at Fox fitness. She likes, she likes uh, training with Dane. She goes, I like the way he teaches. It really makes me, uh, it clicks with me. She really liked the seminar with Tim sled. Like he handed out paper and, 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 and some instructions and some details. She goes, I like that a lot. It helps me learn. Well, I've never done that before. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I noticed the one thing, like when I'll start working with her, that's the first thing she'll say is like, Hey, it's about time. I learned something real. <laughs> um, normally it's right after she's worked with you <laughs> yeah so i mean it, it's I, I always like it when somebody else is showing her stuff because it it it's coming from somebody who's not her spouse and um i think that's it that's like the the, the i think the classic example is um it, with like uh we just had the episode about pistol shooting a, f- a week or two ago and like it would be hard to learn how to shoot pistols um from or shoot a shoot a gun from your spouse because it, just think of how much easier it'd be from a, an instructor at a class like that person clearly you know their authority they're exclusive in the class you're gonna listen to them and, and and do what they say but from a spouse they're your spouse first and then instructor second and so um, <laughs> I don't know I just think that that's a it's a hard uh, body of water to cross with a bridge. Or even a boat, uh, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I think Gary reference. said something about that a week or two ago. So <laughs> um, I'll take I'll take his word for it. And another thing about uh, about her is when she she's got I think two stripes. See, I don't even she has two stripes. I'll just say that. And um, she really likes like when we get, she gets a stripe, she's legitimately happy. Like we go home, she's she's excited about jujitsu. It's it's a big deal. I have I got my first stripe on my black belt. That's the first stripe I've ever received. Gary and I trained for two years without even uh, like a hint of recognition of getting better. We got our blue belts. So no stripe white belt. Two years later or however long it was, blue belt. No stripes ever on my blue belt. No stripes. Gary's never had a stripe on his belt that I know of. Have you? Or have you? No, like, I haven't. So it's, it's not a thing. That's not like it to you. It's not a motivating factor. Like I don't know anybody who cares less about their belt color than Gary, but um, – but for her, and I think for a lot of people, getting that stripe really feels good. It really shows, like, okay, yeah, my jutsu still uh, doesn't work very well against a lot of people, but somebody thinks it's doing better, and 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 they, you know, it's been Jake Fox that's given her the stripes. Um, you know, he's recognizing that she's getting better at jujitsu. Here's a stripe, Becky, and and that's that's better than her submitting, uh, you know, some guy or something on the mats. It's like I am getting better at jujitsu. It, it, and for that day or so, it it uh, it's a good, I could tell it's a rewarding experience, and so um, th- that as a as a coaching tool and as a motivation tool, I think is a good one that um, in the past hasn't been utilized. So you can count that as a mistake, but uh, <laughs> it's just something that we just didn't do back in the day. Um, another thing, <laughs> I, 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 so I wrote down some things about you know lessons learned on my wife. Um, what happens to her sometimes? is she's kind of shy when it comes to partnering up with people. Um, she, she doesn't go up and say, hey, let's roll. That's what I do, and, or people are asking me to roll because I know people a lot better at anywhere we go. So what happens is she'll roll with me, and I'll say, hey, next roll with this person, or I'll tell somebody, hey, grab Becky. But when that doesn't happen, she stands there and waits, which you know, doesn't sound like a terrible thing, but what happens is the person that nobody wants to roll with ends up standing there next to her. And that's who she gets to train with. 
And that's a terrible experience. Like, <laughs> like you know the people, the people that, that are like, hey, let's try. Who's who's uh, you paired up with them? You're with him. You're with that guy. Um, and then okay, look, oh, there's Becky. Uh, Byron's like, I'll go. We're the last two. Coincidentally. Uh, nobody wanted to roll with that dude, and Becky was too shy, and this happens way too often. And so uh, I try to pair up better, and not just with um, – most people are good to roll with, but a lot of times that last guy is not an enjoyable role. And so uh, that's another thing, a lesson I've learned on the mat is, is to help anybody. Like it happens to the new guy. The new guy will stand there looking around and trying to figure out who's going to roll with him. If you get paired up with the last guy – there might be, that might be the smelly guy. That might be the guy who drops a lot more elbows. That might be the leaky guy. There could be a lot of things going on with that person. But you didn't get the person that everybody wanted to roll with. Because that person got paired up pretty much immediately. The leaky yeah, if, guy. If, if you're, if you're for <laughs> first five classes, all you, the only guy you roll with is stinky gee guy that only knows neck cranks. That, those might be the only five classes you ever go to. Yeah. So, uh, that, I mean, that's just been a, uh, a thing that, and, and really the fix is to get her more familiar with the, the, her teammates and to not feel like when she's asking somebody to roll, she's taking anything from them. Like, um, you know, she, you know, you know what I mean by that? Like she's not taking a role away from them. It's their job as a teammate to roll with people. And sometimes they're going to get a role that's not, you know, she grabs a brown belt. It's not gonna be super competitive, but that's okay with that brown belt. And it should be okay with that brown belt to get an occasional role with a white belt because they're part of a team. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely should be okay, you know, more than an occasional role. And I still think even if your heads or tails better than somebody, you can still make that role very beneficial. Uh, Work on, you know, like we talk about in uh, games for BJJ, work on uh, your half guard from your bad side, work on passing to your weak side. Um, you know, do everything to your weak side, put yourself in some crazy positions, you know, stick your neck out and, you know, work out of some, some guillotine. So I just think that, uh, you know, no matter how good you are, you can make just about every role really, really solid for yourself. Yeah. I I would say every role I'd say if if you have a role where you got nothing out of it, that's on you. Yes, definitely. Unless you're rolling with a stinky guy. That one, uh, (laughs) Well, you still get something out of it because you're you're trying to avoid the stinkiest areas, yeah. and it, it helps you learn to control and, and and helps you become aware of the situation. And yeah, and uh, so also socially, um, uh, looking at mistakes I've made, I think that this is made. Uh, I, I remember making this repeatedly, and it and it's honestly saying it's kind of embarrassing, um, but because uh, to think of me doing it now is is just crazy but uh and i hope that people i think it's a common mistake but i hope people stop making it uh, as time goes on and they and they build confidence but when i would have somebody show up in class that i knew from off the mats whether it be a friend or a, a co-worker or whatever i would go really hard with that person and i would tap them out like as many times as i could in a short amount of time and really like welcome to jujitsu you know this is this is what it is and this is how good i am at it and that is basically a recipe for uh, getting the people who uh, really want to do jujitsu to stick it around. But if you're at all questionable, you leave. You try it once, and that sucked, and you're gone. And so, like my success rate of getting people to to, to train long term was super low because I would basically bring people in, and beat them up, and say, "Did you like? Did you have a good time? Did you want to do this more?" 
and they would typically say, oh, yeah, and then they just never show up. And uh, that's a mistake. <laughs> Hard to see that any other way than a mistake because it really was – it was working my own ego. It was uh, trying to impress somebody, um, and and that, and that doesn't – the long-term result would have been – uh, let's get them to do jiu-jitsu, get them in shape, get them some enjoyment off the mat. And uh, and I pushed people away from that, doing that, training too hard with new people. Yeah, that's always a big one, kind of like what Joe was saying. Uh, if you roll with a stinky guy five classes in a row, you're never going to come back. Uh, same thing if if you just trash your friend. That person's probably not going to come back unless they're the really gung-ho part. And I always laugh about, one guy I'd been talking to for a long time about jujitsu. I'd been, you know, he was a really big, uh, weightlifter bodybuilder. And, uh, I'd always talk to him about jujitsu and CrossFit and stuff like that. And we'd been talking for probably six months and, you know, he wanted to try it. Problem was he was working on Saturdays and that was his only free time. And he always told me he, he wanted to, uh, do it. I don't think he even really knew what jujitsu was, but, um, so, uh, Finally, he got a schedule change, had a Saturday off, and uh, I made an appointment, and we were going to meet and uh, train. And he gets up there, and he never told me anything. He, he, he went through the first class. He did look a little shocked and uh, really had a good time. And, you know, he, he's still doing it here six, seven years later, and it's really good. But he told me after, like, a couple couple months, you know, after all those talks we had, I guess he thought we were doing CrossFit, not jujitsu. <laughs> and so he showed up thinking we were going to be, you know, flipping tires and uh, getting sledgehammers out, hitting tires and, and doing stuff like that. And next thing he knows, he, uh, he's learning how to twist people's arms and choke people unconscious. But uh, I always laugh at that. Uh, you know, I was figuring I must not be doing a very good job explaining it back then. But um, the cool thing is he's he's my number one training partner and he's been training for a long time now. Yep, you made an awkward conversion from somebody who thought they were going to do CrossFit and ended up having a good time with you on the mats. <laughs> I think we could go on and on about uh, lessons learned and mistakes we've made on the mats. We could even revisit this topic maybe in a year or so if I keep track of all the things I mess up between yeah, here and then. We could probably do 256 episodes. <laughs> but uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a good exercise to look at, kind of evaluate yourself. What am I doing wrong? Uh, what have I done wrong? And and then, uh, you know, keep working forward. You know, you can't go back and change those things. Uh, but, you know, avoiding them, learning from others' mistakes. Hopefully you've done that today. Speaking of avoiding mistakes and learning from other people's mistakes, that brings us to the article of the week. Uh, we have an article this week. Uh, it's titled, A Nice Lady's Adventures in the Gentle Art of Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, she writes an article here. It's uh, competing in midlife, how to train to win after age 35. And she lists a whole series of things that she pays attention to, to keep her on the mats and keep her successful. And uh, not doing these things, I think, would definitely be mistakes. Um, The first one that she lists is, I need to actually warm up. And uh, Gary and I are both into our... 50s. Byron's not quite there yet, but uh, I think we can relate to this. And when I when I first read the title of that section, I thought, well, I don't really do that. But then as I read the section, I thought, well, I guess I do, because she talked about taking a few rounds and, and just rolling light. And, and that's kind of the way that I warm up. And, and it is important. We talked about injury avoidance and take care of our bodies and 
uh, going into the gym and, and when it comes time for free rolling, uh, pick a training partner that you trust, uh, somebody that will go your speed and get a good warm up around in before you hit it hard. I was going to say that's actually helped me a lot. Uh, the warm up is very important. Uh, her point number two, selective about training partners. And uh, this is one thing I did not do when I first started. And, and like she said, is she got a little bit older and, and I ran into the same situation. Really have to be selective about your training partners. And what do we mean by that is, you know, I, I'm, I love rolling with black belts. I love rolling with white belts. I love rolling with anybody in between. But there's always some people who use a little bit more force, a little bit more uh, crazy on the mat. Uh, you know, they may spaz out if they lose a position, uh, may crank my neck and turn it around and make me look like the exorcist. Those people, you know, I am going to minimize my roles with. Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to get hurt. Kind of like we were talking about before. Every time I'm on the sidelines, I'm not getting better. So uh, I definitely want to get better. I'm going to, uh, you know, be selective who, who I roll with. And it, it's definitely uh, helped save me and keep me on the mat. Yeah. Another tip she has is to, to treat the micro injuries. So when you start to get hurt a little bit, address that, uh, change things a little bit. Uh, take a day or so off and, and let your body heal before it actually gets injured uh, at a full scale. I think that just uh, is something that we encounter more and more as we get a little bit more gray on the mats. Get a little more gray or, or lose our hair before it turns gray, one or the other. <laughs> I, I, I like the last one, and I, I don't mean to get to the end of it. We can back up and hit some of the other ones too, but I really like the last one. Uh, tap when a grip breaks. Man, my shoulders are shot. Uh, if my arm gets straightened out in an arm bar, the hitchhiker escape's not really an option for me the way that it rotates the shoulder and I don't have, have any rotator cuff left. And so, you know, I, I do the rear naked choke type of grip to defend and I try and stack my opponent. But if that fails and I'm still on my back and they straighten my arm out, I just tap. And I've had guys tell me, man, I wasn't even really straightening your arm. It's like, yeah, but once you got the arm bar I'm just gonna tap and and that that has saved me from a, a lot of days off Joe it's it's funny that you said you know you really like that one before you came on the show with us and Byron and I were talking and I told Byron you know I was like man I really like this article and I told him that my favorite was tap when a grip breaks I, I thought that's very important you know I, I I do that and I also do that offensively. A lot of times with my training partners, if uh, I have them in an arm bar, and you're always going to know who you're rolling with. Some guys don't tap. Some people will. Like, you know, Joe, you're saying you'll tap, uh, you know, when the grip breaks. I'm the same way. But I've got some training partners that don't tap. And I will, once the grip gets broke, I know I'm going to finish it. I just, you know, flow on to something else. And uh, I don't really need that submission. It doesn't make a, make a difference. Uh, but I have actually had a had a couple of people get mad at me that uh, I let them out of it. You know, they're like, hey, I wanted to get out of it. And and I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll go how you want, but I'm still not going to, you know, once I got that, that grip broken, I'm not going to crank it or anything. Yep. It's a, it's a good article. Um, I appreciate looking at that. Um, you know, you could still compete at any age, but you might have to try to uh, train a little smarter and, and uh, protect yourself a little differently. Um, it's on. There'll be a link to it in the show notes, but it's on uh, grapplinggirl.blogspot.com, uh, A Nice Lady's Adventures in the Gentle Art of Jiu-Jitsu. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a, I think we'll revisit this blog 
in the future. It's uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, learn something from it. Yeah, definitely don't make the mistake of not checking that blog out because uh, that's a lesson you need to learn. Way to bring it all together, Gary. I'm good at something at least, Joe. Yep. And if you want to support us in, in our attempts to do good at something, uh, Patreon has been a, a great way to do that. And um, if you want to join the list of people like Adam, Ryan, and Brian, uh, thanks, guys, for uh, being Patreon supporters. Uh, which, what you could do is donate like a dollar per episode is, is the most common uh, amount that people donate. And uh, we'll send you out a 5-inch BJJ Brick Gee Patch and a sticker as uh, some tokens of appreciation. And uh, you get a shout-out periodically on the podcast. But really, uh, you're supporting something that you believe in, that you want to grow and get better, and that's the podcast. And if that's if there's something that you have value in, it's important to support it. And uh, we've made a lot of growth in the past year or so, and uh, we hope to do the same next year and become even bigger and better. Yep. Check us out on social media. We're on Facebook. Uh, we try and stay pretty active there. We've got an app, and that's the easiest way to uh, get the podcast every week. So go to uh, your iStore or whatever they call it. If you've got an iPhone, I've never owned one. Uh, if you've got an Android, go to uh, the Google Play Store. Uh, download our app. You'll get the latest episode every week. And uh, we've got a YouTube channel as well, and we've got some reviews on there. And uh, Byron archives the shows on there as well, so you could actually listen to the show via YouTube if you chose to. Joe, what if you have a rotary phone? Uh, dial four seven eight six five nine. Okay. <laughs> or <laughs> isn't that a Jesse's girl phone number? Eight eight six seven five four zero nine. That's right. Or have call Gary, which is a different number, and have him hit play on his uh, on his speaker, and he'll put the phone down, and he'll he'll get you through the shows that way. And if you'd like a tra- if you'd like a transcript of the show, start back at the beginning and write everything down, and then send it to us. <laughs> send it to us so we can send it out to people. You know, that's uh, we'd appreciate that. What we'd really appreciate, though, tell all your friends about us. Uh, uh, definitely, if you're listening to this show, you like jujitsu. Most of your friends probably uh, train jujitsu. Let them know about us. And if you happen to come through uh, the Midwest, uh, Byron and I are in Wichita, Kansas. Joe's in Houston, Texas, and uh, near New Orleans, New Orleans, south of there. Um, hit us up, uh, bjjbrick at gmail.com. We'd love to train with you if you get in any of those areas. Roger that. Yeah, we uh, we really enjoy getting some mat time with the listeners. And uh, when it happens, it's uh, Gary, Gary describes it as magical. <laughs> no, it, you know, it, it's a highlight of the week when, when a listener sends an email, hey, I'm going to be in town. Uh, can we train and uh, and then we make it work? That's good. If it's sometimes if it's just one day or we're Gary and I both busy, um, it's it's unfortunate. But uh, there's always a place to train here, which die. And if we're not there, we'll still send you to the uh, to a gym here and, and get you some mat time, even if we're not able to make it. But uh, yeah, uh, good time as always. Stay sweaty, my friends, and don't forget to shower. Train hard, train smart, get better. We'll see you on the mats, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.